Hello, listeners, and welcome back for another great episode of Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just critique movies, but talk about how they could have been better. I'm Tony, one of your fixers today, and with me also is my co-host and best friend... Me, Matt. That's me. Hi. Hi, Tone. <laughs> hey, Matt. Welcome back to the new block. Are you excited? I am honestly really excited. I was having someone ask me just yesterday, one of our loyal listeners, Ben, was like, so you guys going to do any more episodes? And I, I, I kid you not, I was texting you about today's recording when he asked me that. I'm like, are you are you looking at my phone right now? But no, he just really wants more episodes of Movie Fixers. Oh, good old Ben. I'm Jazz too. Nice to nice to know there's at least three of us listening. Right. Well, and then there's Taylor, who's our other super loyal listener. Oh, yeah, Taylor. Cool. Oh, there's Taylor. Yeah, Taylor. <laughs> hey, Taylor. <laughs> and hey to everybody else listening. Thank you for tuning in. So what uh, what are we doing today, Tone? Well, Matt, uh, why don't you tell me? Uh, if you insist. Today we are going to be doing an episode. Actually, this is going to be our most recent episode that we've done, I think, on this this show so far. Most of the movies we've done have been at least a couple years old, if not even older. Uh, this movie came out, I think, this year, right? 2018? Yeah, and what's ironic is this is also our most recent episode, if you're listening to it, when it first comes out. <laughs> Somebody else brought jokes today. Um, so yeah, we're doing a movie that came out earlier this year called Cloverfield Paradox. Um, Netflix made this third installment in the Cloverfield uh, series. I don't think it's meant to be a trilogy by any means. I think it's a whole you know, series of movies, but they made this movie and they released the trailer during the Super Bowl. And then Netflix made the movie available on their service that night. So it was kind of like an interesting, um, marketing thing. Yeah. I was reading, I was reading earlier that it had like the number 16 slot on YouTube trailers on the day of release, which is like the highest any new trailer has ever had or something weird like that. How do you mean? Like most views? Yeah, it was just, well, it was because it, it came out that day, right? And it came out during the Super Bowl. It, you know, what not plummeted, whatever the opposite of plummeted, it is skyrocketed in views. So and YouTube, I think they call it going viral. <laughs> it went super viral and it was, you know, antibiotic resistant too. Yeah, there you go. The movie itself did not do as well <laughs> because it was a Netflix movie. It, it, uh, it doesn't have like you know like numbers like we get with a box office movie, but uh, right now it's sitting on a seventeen percent at Rotten Tomatoes, which you know is I think a little unfair. It it but it got some some harsh criticism from both like fans of the Cloverfield franchise and that universe, and then just newcomers looking at the movie on its own. Yeah, well, it reminds me a bit not to get into a different movie altogether, but Netflix had another big release this year in the movie Bright with Will Smith and Joel Edgerton, mm -hmm. and it was another one that had pretty low Rotten Tomatoes scores. And by the time I got around to watching it, I'm like, it's really not as bad as everybody's making it out to be. And you know, Netflix has said in interview, Netflix like there's our person. So Mr. Netflix said in an interview that well, Mr. they Netflix. don't really, they're not really concerned about those numbers because their viewership is strong and right. You know, people people want to watch a Will Smith movie, mm -hmm. whether it's got 
great reviews or not. Well, but they should be concerned about us, the movie fixers, because we are going to give them great instruction on how to fix this movie and thereby increase viewership in the future. That's that's my pitch to them later when we, we start garnering more uh, popular Exactly. Like a exactly. Trend. We're going to tell when Netflix we... how to become popular. Yes, yes. We'll, we'll help them with that. But uh, so so real quick, because this is part of a, a franchise, the Cloverfield universe, and uh, I, I wanted to talk on that a little bit because, Matt, you've seen both Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane, correct? I have. I've seen both. Yes. So can you give us just really short, like, your impressions on both of those movies? Sure. Um, so Cloverfield came out. Oh my goodness! Many many years ago, a decade or more, more than we, a decade, twelve years ago. I don't know. We still worked at Blockbuster Video, so yes, a long time ago. That was yeah. Blockbuster Video for you children listening is this? It's basically like a Netflix. You would walk into and you would pay money to rent a movie. Yeah, instead of an, <laughs> like a subscription fee, you just paid for the movie. Right. Although they did try and do subscription fees at one point, but we won't yeah. digress on that. <laughs> anyway. anyway, so Cloverfield came out many many moons ago. And it was kind of a big deal at the time because, you know, we their Blair Witch Project had come out before that. But up until then, it was kind of the only popular and semi-interesting found footage style film. Cloverfield was probably the second most famous found footage style film. And found footage style, for anyone who doesn't know, is just the whole movie is told from the point of view of this, like, dude with a video camera. And he's running from, like, you don't even see whatever he's running from half the time. There's just, like, the city's falling apart. There's mass chaos. I'm pretty sure it's in New York City, but it's, you know, what isn't. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, running his video camera the whole time because of reasons I don't remember. It was a very long time ago. And spoiler for anybody who's wanting to watch the first Cloverfield and doesn't want to know, this is the time to skip ahead, like, 45 seconds. At the end of the film, he, I don't know if he gets hit or something happens, he gets knocked over, the camera falls to the ground, and you see this gigantic city size, well not city size, but very, very big creature rampaging through Godzilla style, whatever city this is. Right, so it is like kind of a, your kaiju style monster. like Sure. Big. Oh, for sure. In fact, I, I'm sure that was part of their like inspiration for it. Yeah, it was and, just described um, to me as being kind of more spider-like was the only difference. It had, like, long, Oh, for sure. I was telling Hayden, multiple. my husband, yesterday that the, the monster in Cloverfield reminds me a lot, or vice versa, of the monster in season two of Stranger Things. Right. And more importantly, that's Hayden Smith, executive producer, also your husband. Sure, yeah. They're all the same person. He's pretty great. He doesn't listen to any of this, so he'll never hear that. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry, our other executive producer doesn't listen to this either. <laughs> so, it's you know, it's probably for the best. If they heard what we were making, <laughs> I'm not sure how interested they'd be. So, anyways, right. let's move along a little bit. All Tim right, right, Cloverfield so, Lane, which came out you. just a yes. few years ago, um, was a sort of, it's hard to call it really a, a true sequel to Cloverfield because there's none of the same characters. It's not necessarily... It sounds identifiable like it's, as in the same timeline. Yeah, it's, it's but it maybe is. But similar it event is happening in the world, whether it's that monster or a different monster. But it sounds right. like well, and even the tone is different. Oh, whereas yeah. the first one is like like you said, like a kaiju um, Godzilla kind of monster film. Sort of this is more of a psychological thriller. You know, humanity's the real enemy, that kind of deal. <clears throat> anyways, it stars John Goodman and some other people. I really watched it because John Goodman was in it. But anyways, he... He was good he's in this, it, too. He's this, like, uh, doomsday prepper who's who's in a bunker, 
And our main character, whose name I don't remember, because I don't want to get into this too much, uh, gets in a car accident, wakes up in this guy's bunker, and he keeps telling her there's this huge, awful thing happening outside. You can't go outside. You can't go outside. You can't go outside. So you spend the whole movie wondering, like, first of all, if he's telling the truth, like what his real intentions are, things like that. But again, spoiler, skip ahead 45 seconds if you don't want to hear. Turns out this thing he was talking about definitely is happening, and there's straight up giant monsters outside eating people. Yeah, some and of it. He, he, he gets the details wrong, but there's, there's crap right. going on outside. I can't this emphasize enough how good 10 Cloverfield Lane is. Like, it's a solid, really well made movie. I loved 10 Cloverfield Lane. It does not need any fixing. Nice, yeah. I uh, personally, I love that one too. That's the only one I've seen, but I knew the premise of Cloverfield. I knew there was a giant monster. Uh, so what was funny is my wife and executive producer as well had saw Ten Cloverfield Lane with me, not knowing anything about Cloverfield. So skip ahead again, forty-five seconds. When the monsters show up at the end, she was genuinely impressed. Like, oh, they went there. Like, she did not know at all. Versus, I kind of was like, well, I know this is in the universe. I know this was gonna, this had to be happening somewhere. So yeah. that was. It really almost, cool for I think, her. would have worked better. I'm like, I, I'm jealous that she got to have that experience because I, like you, knew that it was you know, an installment in the Cloverfield universe. So I knew that, you know, what he was saying was, you know, 99% going to be true because we've already seen these monsters in another movie. But if you go into it, not knowing that, and you go into it and you're like her, you're like our main character wondering like, is this guy crazy? Like, is he trying to do weird things to me? Is he genuinely trying to look out for my safety? Like that to me is the like joy of that movie. So here we now have Cloverfield Paradox, which is the Cloverfield Paradox. Is there a the? It is. I had to look it up because I kept getting confused myself. Fair enough. Just like the Netflix, right? It's on. It's just like I went to the Walmart earlier. Gotcha. (laughs) And it's part of this in its own way, just as connected, I'd say, as the other two are to each other in this universe. Uh, How do you feel about that, Matt? Do you feel that? Well, I don't know. I disagree. I actually think this one is a lot more overtly connected to the first film and, and sort of barely connected to the second film. There are reasons why this one feels like kind of obnoxiously connected to the first one, whereas I think they could have done things with this with Cloverfield Paradox to minimize that connection and make it actually a more interesting movie. Well, you want to give us a summary of the movie? Let us let everybody know, because, again, one of our rules here is we're not going to make you sit through the movie. We do it for you. I'm going to give you the quick version. Um, It helps to know that this movie was originally titled The God Particle. Uh, And the reason for that is the movie centers around a group of scientist astronauts. I don't know if that's redundant. Aren't all astronauts scientists technically? I'm not certain, but we're just going to, we're going to call them astronaut scientists from Mm -hmm. literally like all countries in the world. And it takes place in a near future where seven countries in the world, but yeah, (laughs) well, only seven crew members. Sorry. Well, the seven, you know, most important and interesting countries. Just kidding. Sorry. People from none of those countries. Um, Anyways, they're these astronaut scientists that are on a space station in the near future and Earth is going through an energy crisis like uh, countries are at the brink of World War, whatever it is at this point. And these scientists are all working together across national borders to activate um, basically a device. It's sort of like the Large Hadron Collider um, that's meant to create called the Shepard Particle Accelerator or SPA as I shorten it from here on out. It's their sci-fi device. Right. Well, but, you know, but it's based on a real thing. It's based on the Large Hadron Collider. 
And the premise of that, the actual real device is it was to uh, find the Higgs boson, which is also called the God particle. In this movie, it's meant to supply unlimited, sustainable, free energy for, you know, all of existence, hold hands across the world, that sort of thing. But they introduce early on that there's people on Earth that are worried about them even turning the machine on because it could tear apart the fabric of reality, which also is something people were worried about with the actual device in, you know, on Earth that exists for real. Uh, it didn't do that as far as we can tell, but it might have. We could get into conspiracy theories later. But in the movie, uh, they finally get the device turned on and working and it's looking like A plus. It's going to be great. We've done it. We're, we've saved humanity. And something happens horribly that they find themselves in space. Earth is not outside the window anymore. They think they've like made Earth disappear or destroyed it or done something and they're freaking out. As the movie goes on, they find out weird things are happening on the ship. You know, there's like a crew member that wasn't there before. There's, you know, they have these like worm things on the ship that are suddenly missing. Where are those? Spoiler, we'll get into those in a minute. Um, somebody loses their arm to a wall that just eats it. Like some crazy, crazy shit happens. And you more or less find out that it did, in fact, screw up reality. And it keeps jumping back to Earth in an effort, I think, to like try really hard to tie it into the Cloverville universe. And turns out it's like unleashed these demons that they call them or monsters or whatever that are wreaking havoc on the havoc on the planet. Um, to wrap the synopsis up, they do end up figuring out that they've just kind of moved to another dimension in a slightly different time. And Earth is still there, but it's not their Earth. So they want to, like, I guess, try and warn that Earth about what they did wrong and they're trying to like get the machine turned back on because supposedly due to what we know about quantum entanglement, if we just turn it on one more time, it'll take it back to our earth. That was ridiculous. But anyways, so they're, they're, they're all trying to get back to their earth. And that's, I mean, that's the movie right there. That's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And did I miss anything super exciting and interesting in my synopsis? Not that random crew member they find is actually from the reality that they jump to. Sure, so, and she's actually kind of an interesting character. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to talk about I, her a lot. We're going to go into her for sure. So, like, another thing, uh, one of the things I'm going to do in this to distinguish is there, and this is done in, you know, DC Comics and this really great episode of Community where there's going to be Earth 1, which is where we start, and there's going to be Earth 2. So if I reference Earth 2, it's the reality they sort of find themselves in. And Earth sure. 1 is where they came from, and that's just a little bit of terminology speak so we can speed things along as we're talking about stuff cool yeah for sure so matt how did you feel about this movie did you like it um i so i've seen this movie twice now i watched it not too long after it first hit netflix um i didn't really care for it at all the first time i just remember thinking how much of a missed opportunity most of the movie seemed to be um, watching it again in preparation for this episode, however, I did enjoy it more. This movie was made as something not a part of the Cloverfield universe originally. And when J.J. Abrams got a hold of it, he went back and did reshoots with one of the more minor characters to sort of tie it better into the Cloverfield universe. And I really feel like had he not done that um, and this movie had just been a standalone sci-fi romp, it would have been a more successful film. I think the 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 efforts that he made to tie it in to the Cloverfield universe actually hurt it more than it did anything else. 
I think we're going to both have a similar fix for that uh, when we get to that point. But yeah, that is that is definitely the glaring, uh, you know, what do you call it, elephant in the room or whatnot that, that just really brings it down. But I still think there's a bit more wrong, or just not wrong. We don't say things are wrong. It just fell flat. I mean, we keep going back yeah. to that term, but it really just hits me. But I will say, I overall, I liked this movie. Um, I gave it a pass on a few things, and I gave it a pass because this type of thriller suspense, I, I won't go so far as to call it horror, it never really crossed that line, but this sort of thriller suspense movie is not my type of genre. Personally, sure. I don't typically like it, so I kind of went at it with more of an analytical mind and was just like, it, they did a lot does, of things well. It does border on a little bit of horror, and you can tell that the influences for this movie were like, Alien a little bit, uh, Event Horizon. Yes. That um, what was that movie, Sunshine, many, many moons ago, the Danny Boyle film? Mm-hmm. Like, I felt a lot of influence from those, like, space horror films. But I, and I will in say. In some I, ways it worked, but it also felt a little derivative because of it. Aside from Alien, I liked this better than the other two, Sunshine and Event Horizon, which are much closer to this style. So. For sure. So, hey, if you liked Sunshine and you liked Event Horizon, just know this might be the movie for you. Right. And speaking of things we liked, what do you think worked well in this movie? What what were some things we can talk about? Sure. Um, I will definitely say it has a great cast. Honestly, really great cast. I don't remember all their names off the top of my head, but I know Chris O'Dowd is in it. And he's he's a little underutilized, but he's funny. He's He's actually pretty funny, and he relieves a little bit of tension here and there which is always welcome in these sort of like suspense movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember all the other actors names. I know that the guy from um, the Martin Luther King biopic, I can't remember his name, but he's really good as like the commander. Um, the villain from Captain America Civil War is one of the uh, space astronauts. Oh, that's right. That's where I knew him from. I couldn't quite place him, but yeah, he's, he's also pretty good in it. It's got a good, strong cast. Um, I liked the production design a lot. Like I'm a big fan of sci-fi obviously. And I think as ships and, you know, uniforms and space walks, those sorts of things go in movies. I thought they did a pretty good job of the look of this movie. Um, well, let's just say this, everything on the space station, I thought really looked yes. good. There, there's all these, these bits that, um, take place with one of the main characters, husband or boyfriend they're never really clear about it but back on earth and we come to find out those are the things that jj abrams went back and reshot later they reshot more scenes the character's name is michael in an effort to tie it in but all the times that we leave the space station and go back to michael on earth the they it doesn't match up like it feels cheap but anyways everything on the space station for the most part i think looks pretty great so it's got a good look and a good cast and i the basic premise of what they're doing and what happens to the astronauts and them getting back is, is a fun sci-fi concept. I, you know, if, if this had been an episode of, you know, Voyager or something, I would have been like, that was a fun story. Uh, what about you? Tell me what, what did you like in this movie? I know you liked a couple things. So you definitely hit the, hit it on the head with the performances overall, the effects and the set design. Of course, again, I'm talking on the space station. I, I keep forgetting about the, the B story as I'm going to call it with the husband who I think if that was its own movie or that was like part of a sequel, it would be good. It would have had more like attention. It just, 
it was just trying to, like you said, remind you, hey, this is going to be part of that Cloverfield universe, you know, and if you don't, this is wasting your time. So what I liked as well was in the beginning of this movie, there's a really efficient just plot development. They give you a couple quick voiceovers from a news broadcast, and they give you this nice small conversation between our main protagonist and the husband in a car waiting to get gas because, you know, energy crisis, everybody's in line for gas. It's just one of those things where like the, the small back and forth between how he's telling her, you've got this invitation to go to the space station for this thing that's going to fix it all. You should go, but she doesn't want to leave him. But he's like, no, nah, it's not about me. It's about more than that. And you know it. And then she's there. And then you get this great little montage of them on the station and it not, you know, just daily life and then it not going well. So you kind of meet the whole crew. And that just, I was like, shoot, by 11 minutes in, you see the title, which I thought was a bit long, but you've kind of got everything built up. And I was like, that was really good. I'm on board. I'm, I'm, I'm literally on board this station. I can, I can do this. So that was great. Uh, and then moving forward, most of the characters' motivations, like their personalities, seemed relatable and believable. Usually in these suspense thrillers, you're going to have somebody who's just annoying for the sake of causing conflict uh there was definitely conflict between them because they'd been on the station for two years the volkov who's the russian i think his role was like mostly maintaining the station he was in charge of that was getting mad at the scientist in charge of the spa the the shepherd particle accelerator because it hadn't worked for over two years and he's that guy's from germany and their countries are starting to experience you know turmoil like they're getting hostile towards each other uh, back on Earth, because they're watching news broadcasts of all of this, so he's starting to get pretty peeved, like, why aren't you making this work? He's he's probably your most irrational character, but mm -hmm. even then, I'm like, well, I get that. I mean, world's falling apart. Your country's feeling it bad. You want this to work. You're, you're They're finally giving in to emotion. I was like, I'm just following everybody's motivations right now, up into the beginning of the movie. Later on, that starts to, to waver. But you've got all these different people from all these different nationalities. One of them, and this was technically a, a workaround, one of them's Chinese, so they decided everybody on the station speaks Mandarin, which isn't practical for, like, if you, you read about, like, space practice and things like that. Everybody traditionally speaks English with some knowledge of Russian, if they're going to be on a Russian station or shuttle. But otherwise, that wouldn't happen. But the thing was, they've got this great Chinese actress who's really big in China, and they're like... Her English isn't awesome yet, sure. so they just made all the other actors learn. I can't a few remember her name, but she's from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She's the yeah. the younger character from Crouching Tiger, and she's phenomenal. But you're right. So they just made all the other actors learn a, f a few lines of Mandarin, and I think she spoke some broken English at times. So it kind of became one of those. To me, I took that away story wise. Was well, look how intelligent all these people are. Like they can all know multiple languages. They can all discuss that way. Like you had to have the brightest of the bright up on this project, and that reinforces that you did that. I thought that was cool. And then while everybody's from a different country and they all have a different job, I I don't feel like, and this is my personal opinion, they didn't lean on any one cliche of someone from that nation. You know, the German wasn't just like the German, and the Russian was, was probably maybe the closest. To, to being a little bit too cliche but everybody just felt like a character and they didn't go into too much about like like the cliches you'd expect from someone from that nation i thought that was brilliant i agree with that i i hadn't really thought about it until now but you're you're totally right they they introduced all these characters of different ethnicities nationalities and backgrounds and never leaned on stereotypes and tropes they just kind of 
represented the earth, so to speak. Then building on that, there there was a lot of slow burn information over time. A lot of my notes, because as you know, I always like kind of sit there with a pen and pad just writing questions. But then I was able to go back to probably 90% of that and go, oh, no, they told us. They just they kind of slow burn filled it in. Maybe I thought some of it should have been said sooner, but it was all there. It was all thought out. Right. They didn't lean too heavy on what I call sci-fiance. It's like, yes, there's a science to this, but really it's all going to be plot mechanics. And I think this movie would have been a lot worse if they tried to explain harder what everything was going to do because it was going to pigeonhole them into certain restrictions later on down the line when everything goes wrong. And there was a bit of a vagueness. I'm sure some people, and Matt actually kind of expects you to be one of them, thought there should have been more science in this. But I was like, I think for this type of movie, mm-hmm. they played it safe. And that was a smart move because if they'd have over-scienced it, they, they would have done something wrong at some point or they would have written themselves in a corner at some point. And what always happens in a thriller movie like this. Well, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, to be honest. For me, movies need to movies like this need to go one of two directions. They either need to go hard science and 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 really, you know, to quote Matt Damon, science the shit out of it, mm-hmm. or treat it a little bit more like fantasy, like the fantasy genre, and don't try and explain everything. Because if you start trying to explain things and it starts to fall apart on you, then the whole movie starts to fall apart. And actually, I I, I agree with you that this movie did it right it it sort of introduces the idea of the particle accelerator but it never really tries to tell you how it's going to create sustainable energy it never even really tells you how it's going to tear the universe apart it just kind of tells you these things and moves on and never tries to explain it so then later on in the film when really weird shit happens that makes no sense like when the gyro ends up you know turns out it's inside of one of the guys that died or when the one character gets his arm stuck in the wall and the wall starts like eating him basically at this point there's no expectation that they're going to go like oh well what's happening here is blah 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 they haven't set that expectation so you don't you don't need it at that point you just know that things are wonky part of how they sell it though is they they admit to not knowing what's going on right they they basically dabbled with the science it was not all within their comprehension and they're like the pioneers and weird weird stuff's happening by the way the gyro is a funny device uh it was probably the most plot deviceiest device besides the shepherd particle accelerator it's basically like a football sized gyroscope that is a key to the station slash also kind of like a battery i That was the only one I thought needed a little bit of clarity, but I kind of, again, I gave it a pass. Well, they called it at one point their, their expensive compass. So I assumed from the way they were talking about it, that it had more to do with their navigating systems. Because once they finally get it back at one point is how they figure out that, oh, Earth is really there. We just lost our bearing. And he even says we're upside down, which I think is hilarious because there's no right sides up but again this movie it reminds me somewhat of like event horizon or movies like that that are you know they're sort of sci-fi but they're definitely more fi than sci you know Mm -hmm. exactly what bothers me again is when movies pretend they're trying to be like hard sci-fi and like really give you some great science and then they suck at it that that's when movies start to bother me this stuff doesn't bother me at all like i don't know you're, you're having fun with some theoretical you know, mm-hmm. and philosophical concepts, and you aren't going to bog yourself down with, you know, the laws of physics. 
and really it comes to what are the rules of this this is your fictional world this is a fictional story yep. whether it's fantasy sci-fi or real life if you set a certain number if you set the boundaries and the rules and then you don't adhere to it well right. then you we need the gyroscope to to be right side up it makes no sense in reality but in the that, that's your rule that you set up early in the film so that's the rule we're playing by for the rest of the film. Right, go for it. So you mentioned a couple of the an- I call them the anomalies because there's never it's never confirmed that all of these bad things happening, all these weird things happening are premeditated or some sort of force is doing it maliciously. It seems very random and very unfortunate. Uh, at, at times very convenient to cause stress. When it all seems but- <laughs> linked to them again tearing at the very space-time fabric. That's yeah, jumping realities there. is why this is happening. That's as much as you really get. I think that's all you need. So some of the things I liked, there were a couple times when something just really creepy happened. And this is where that sort of thriller, suspense, borderline right. horror happens. Uh, one of them is, we, we've mentioned that there's a new crewmate. Her name will be Jensen later. But they find her in a wall and the way they find her is they're all freaking out they still don't know what's going on you as the audience member have inferred more than they have at this point right uh, just because you got all the foreshadowing and you know they for them it was just another day but they hear this i considered it inhuman screech and i was like oh my god we got aliens but no it was oh yeah it totally seems like we're about to meet some sort of crazy weird creature on this ship they track it down coming from this panel on the wall. They cut the panel open. And no, it's human. It's just this woman who is basically inside the wall but, like, fused. Like, what if she was, like, in her reality and then this alternate reality came and shifted things a little and now, like, the wires and the piping and the cables of this that were inside this wall panel are just going through parts of her body and she is just freaking the hell out because this was not happening a few minutes ago. <laughs> And I was just like, wow, okay, that one's that one it's, got it's me. honestly one of the coolest, if not the coolest mm-hmm. anomalies as you're calling it. And I, they're freaking it's out. It's such and a neat moment. They don't even show you like how like they kind of stay tied in on it so it's scary. So you can never really assess how bad is this? Is she like dead and just bleeding out, or can they say they do save her, obviously. But uh, and she does. This is when they start to figure out the multiple realities because she starts to recognize some of them because some of them in her reality were on the station. Uh, and this is later on. They're able to, you know, find the gyro and start receiving communications because it also re- does their communications from Earth. They're able to not send but receive communications and they see the other news broadcast of the other ship having crashed and things are similar on Earth, but different in fact most of it's worse like it's escalated so they, they put things together there but i i thought all of that was was kind of a great like i kind of got that as a viewer but it was a great way to confirm it but that was one of the anomalies that really freaked there were a couple that i thought were just bad and then that one was just they, they went hard on that first one and really got you so they set the bar high the the second one was and this is the only other one that had foreshadowing like matt said there were these worms on the ship for reasons I don't care. I think it had something to do with life support. They were like some sort of biological air purifier. That again, they don't explain anything in this movie, which but works in its to. favor sometimes. Yeah. But so, yeah, there's these worms in the ship, and yeah. they don't really explain why they're there. They're just worms. But we we recognize they're gone, so you're waiting for that to pay off, right? And they turn out to be in Volkov, the Russian 
body because he's been kind of poking at himself the whole time and you're waiting for him to just like de- molecularly destabilize because that sounds like words they would use in this movie but mm. <laughs> instead he just sort of like coughs up you know keels over uh he, he went a little crazy at first but you know guys got worms and then when they cut him open i mean he's just got like belly full of worms they go all over the floor and you're just like oh yeah and chris o'dowd's character who plays a very like he belongs there he doesn't play a goofball like he does if you've seen the it crowd or any other sort of comedies if you saw him you'd recognize him he's usually a silly guy he's a funny guy i love him but he's, he's in a, a, a lot of people know him from bridesmaids he was the cop in bridesmaids sure and <laughs> and, and he's the one who goes well i guess we found the worms <laughs> i was just like Thank you, because I needed that right now. Right, just that, that really obvious kind of because that's his character, just very sarcastic, but but also very. He's the one who loses his arm to the wall. That was a good effect. But but before I talk about that, I have to say what my favorite thing in the entire movie was, and I hope it's real or they're making it because it was a little bit of sort of technology they had, and it's called Magno Putty. Oh, Mag- yeah. Magno is in magnetism and putty is in like silly kind of putty or like cock. So imagine a cock gun. All right. You remember they cut a panel of the wall open. Imagine sure. a cock gun. And this. So, so Chris O'Dowd's character who's now the only maintenance guy left. He's doing all like the heart, like the the kind of construction stuff. He's got the panel they cut off back on the wall and he sprays this putty around it, kind of like cock. And you're like, OK. Then he electrifies it and it suddenly starts not just sealing but pulling the the metal panel that has been cut completely free against the actual rest of the wall and tightening it down and it was just so cool looking i was like oh my god tell me that's a real thing or someone's making that right now because that looks amazing and it was just such a cool idea but then he loses his arm and you think that would hurt but it doesn't it's perfectly fine (laughs) And <laughs> yeah, it's weird. He doesn't lose it in the way like you would lose it in um, like a, horror like a final destination like film. He loses spreading. it to like another dimension sort of. And then a little slightly later in the film, one of the other characters straight up finds his arm like Adam's family down the hallway. That's what I thought. It's like the Adam's family, but it's like yeah, more it of an like arm because his watch Wait, is like clanking thing? against the, the bulkhead. Well, yeah, it was thing was the hand but this has got like the full like arm up to the shoulder and on his shoulder it's just like open and exposed but there's no blood coming out like you see muscle you see bone you see the tissue layers and everybody's just like i don't know what to do about this but this is just well they they trap it in like an aquarium basically oh no the hand i mean this is on his shoulder oh yeah they don't do anything to it because he's like it doesn't hurt you know i guess it's fine (laughs) just leave it at that because there's other things going down on the ship right now but now, um, I, I really want to talk about this arm for a minute because one of the, my biggest pet peeves in this whole movie is related to that arm. I, I have one, too. So on that note, and we can even transition, let's start talking about what fell flat and what fell flat specifically about this arm for you. Well, this isn't a fall flat because honestly, like I'm, I'm in it for for goofy things. It just it, it's one of the least like sensical things in the whole movie to me. There's uh there so they're still looking for this gyroscope right they're looking for this football, and they don't know where it is but at That's this point European they, football everybody not right. American football so anyways they find his arm and they trap his arm in this thing and they deduct deduce that he's not controlling this arm that this arm is like sentient at this point 
and the arm, the hand starts making the like writing motion like it wants a pen. And they're like, oh, let's give it a pen. Why not? And the pen writes down, I think on the floor or something, it says, cut Varkov open. Varkov, again, is the Russian who is dead at this point because he exploded with worms. And, and the, the hand says, cut Varkov open. And they do cut Varkov open. And it turns out the, the gyroscope is inside of him, which... Like, don't even get into why that doesn't make any sense. Never explain. But I want But I don't understand how the hell the hand knows this. I have a theory. I have a theory on this, and this is... I, I just assumed it. It's funny that you didn't come to the same conclusion, so now maybe I'm wrong. I thought the hand, because it's his hand, it's his arm. It, it, the reason it's displaced is it's actually his arm, but from the future. So it's got just enough future knowledge to know that they've already found it. Like, he... In, in a reality, found the gyroscope in Varkov, but then lost his arm. And now this arm's clanking around. Or or because he knows he's going to lose his arm. Yeah, I can't explain this as well now. Shoot, my idea's falling apart. I thought it was a future hand. I thought it was a future... His hand had knowledge of the future. Because I was like, why don't they just put a pad down and let this thing keep writing everything that's going to happen? Sure, maybe, yeah. No. I... That's interesting. No, I I mean, your theory is as good as any, right? Yeah, I, I sort of inferred a lot of that. Though. I, yeah. I remember the second time I watched the movie, I was sitting there thinking, like, how the hell does the hand know what to do? <laughs> yeah, and then it never, you never see that And it's sort of the again. weirdest thing to obsess <laughs> over in this movie, to be honest. There's a lot of things that just mm-hmm. don't honestly make any sense, but that's the one that stuck out to me. As well, far I, as what fell flat, like mm-hmm. getting back on track to what we're really talking about here, what fell flat in this movie to me was I didn't mind the opening scene with Michael and Hamilton talking about why she was going to go to the space station and why she needed to do it. Didn't mind that at all, mm-hmm. to be honest. I didn't, I know you a second ago said you liked it a lot. I didn't care for the, the like two and a half year montage at the beginning. I, I just, to me, it was like, I'd like to see more of this, but I guess we're just going to see little tiny, tiny pieces of it. It, it, it bothered me a lot. I wanted to either go ahead and, 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 cut to two years later or spend more time in some of these timelines. I don't, I didn't care for the montage at all. To me, it, it, it ruined kind of the emotional momentum that was set up in that first scene. But speaking of that first scene, all the scenes where we go back to Michael on earth, I just didn't care for. And all the scene, especially cause at one point he like finds a little girl who's scared and he, Decides he's going to help her find her parents. And I just, I didn't care about any of it. Every single time we left that space station and checked in on Michael and his adventure, I just groaned. I didn't want any of it. It would have been more interesting to me had we met Michael at the beginning, spent the entirety of the movie with the kind of isolation of the station and Mm -hmm. their problems, not knowing that, you know, because when everything first goes wrong, Earth... We don't know if Earth has been obliterated, if it's disappeared completely. Like, we don't know anything, but we also do know anything because we keep cutting back to Michael, who's totally okay. I think it would have built more suspense had we waited till the very end of the movie. And we'll, we'll, I I want want you to talk about the end of the movie because (laughs) I do like the end. But if we waited to check in with him again at the end of the movie, I just, I didn't like any of it. I didn't like any of the stuff with Michael in the middle of the movie. Other than that, I think everything else works really well. I think I think what you're really hitting on there is part of why it doesn't work is is that you either know that this is a Cloverfield universe movie and there's a giant kaiju running around in his storyline 
or you don't know anything about that at all and you're just like why are we keep leaving the space station you did it didn't it didn't work on its own it didn't stand on its own and what's sad is what he was going through could have been its own movie it could be the sequel to this him oh, figuring sure. out that that not only did the station you know disappear but there are monsters now that should have been movie two but they were trying to start movie two i wonder if part of why jj abrams went back and added more scenes with him is if if he's thinking of a cloverfield four or however we're numbering these if michael's going to be a bigger character in that you know he is especially that little girl who they kept cutting to all the time and you're like she is the most irrelevant part of this like yeah i didn't care about her at all her parents are excited. Good for them, because none of us are. Oh yeah, <laughs> not not the actress, but the the character's oh, parents. No, are... no, no. There's a part where the where he gets a text that you know her parents have been informed that she's mm-hmm. okay and they're really excited about it. And I was like, good for them, because I don't care. <laughs> Go back to space where all the interesting things are happening. So what about you? What fell flat for you? Oh my goodness. Uh, I feel like some of this is small, but then some of it's, it, it, it still needs to be called out. So they go to an alternate reality. And so one of the reasons our main protagonist, one of the reasons she's on this space station is you slowly learn, not only was she married, they had kids. Those kids died in a fire that was caused because she had constructed a battery cell, like a power pack is what she called it, for the kids to use their lamps to, you know, read books at night. So it's like, again, power scarce. When lights went out, that was it. Well, that thing didn't go so well and caught fire and they died. And so, like, part of her grief was just to run from it. Well, she's in this new reality, right? And, oh, lo and behold... Not only was she not on the space station, she's friends with Jensen, the woman who was in Earth 2. And in Earth 2, her family's alive. All of it. And so she suddenly just loses her shit. I mean, there's this line that Jensen says. Like, she sets it all up. They put it all together. It's all very obvious. And then Jensen goes, on this Earth, your family is alive. And all I could think is, duh? You just did, like, five things to, like, confirm that. You don't have to say that out loud. It's the only time they said something that was just dumb dialogue. They shouldn't have done that. And then later, Ava gets this whole, I'm going to stay on this in this reality. So when they're almost getting everything fixed, she wants to go in an escape pod with Jensen and leave. And I'm like, that makes no sense. You know, I'm just like, I don't buy this. My wife, Chrissy, was like, why would she do that? Those aren't her kids. They're this other reality person's kids. And, you know, she's supposed to be a super smart science person. And it, it, she's all doing this whole, like, you just can't understand. It's like, no, I understand. Like... The same mistake could happen. Give Jensen a, a letter or something because Jensen admits to being best friends with the Avon, Ava Hamilton on Earth too. So it's like, just tell her what to do because they can't just call Earth. That's a problem once they get the gyro back working is calling Earth isn't working yet, which is technically Hamilton's job and te- gets into my next thing I didn't really care for. They took way too long to clarify what everybody's job on this ship was. Like you didn't you saw them all doing stuff but they all actually had different roles some of them were never fully defined because it was talked about because hamilton's job was one of those they called her a comms actually her husband referred to her as a comms officer so in the beginning in that beginning conversation and it's the only time it comes up ever so she's basically like a for this ship which awesome you need one of those they're important it, it doesn't ever come up again and i'm just and i i was wondering why there was a medic or if there was a medic at one point and then we figure out one of my favorite characters was the i can't tell what country he's from his name was monk i was they're all they all go by their last name he was he was pretty cool guy 
but he turned out to be the medic, which was weird because when they're going to cut open Volkov, he, he can't do it. He's like, I can't do this. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do this? You're a medic. You're you're the you're the physician on this space station. Somebody Are you died sure he was the medic? Yeah, because he was the one doing all this. I mean, he had to be that he was doing all the scans, using all the medical stuff. They were all deferring to him to give answers when somebody was feeling weird. Huh. I just got the impression he was like the the botanist or the biologist or the the whatever. Maybe that's what it was. And that, but then how foolish was it to have these people up there for years and have no physician of any kind up Sure. There? Yeah, and that's that's something that honestly didn't bother me because again, I was letting a lot of stuff just slide in this movie, but you're you're right. They don't really make it clear what everyone's doing. And I think that's I think that's why I would have liked instead of that kind of useless montage in the beginning I think it's why I would have liked maybe more of a scene of them like launching into space and feeling that like hope of we're going in and we're going to activate this device and this is what all of us are doing and it's going to work. And then like maybe even see it fail the very first time and then do do like a time. But I'm saying like not in a montage scenario. I'm saying like see it all happen like we're going somewhere with the storyline and then you know, two years later at the bottom of the screen. And then we see their personalities have all changed because they've all been in space for two and a half years. They're all really put out with each other. And we see that dichotomy of like hope and <laughs> guys, we got to pull this together. Maybe if you cut out 30 minutes of some other guy on Earth's plot and and put like 15 minutes of that in, it would be, yeah, I, we we're fixing the movie too fast. <laughs> Maybe so. So the other thing I didn't, there, I caught the anomalies. I told you the ones I liked they start killing off characters left and right uh, as the, the movie progresses because, you know, everybody can't make it. And they just get more ridiculous. And it's it's getting harder and harder to give them a pass. The woman from China who's one, one who actually figures out what goes wrong with the SPA and how to fix it tells them that and then goes in this airlock to do something and it floods with water and then it bursts to the outside. And just when I think you're about to see someone finally get sucked out into space, because it's a thriller and someone has to get sucked out into space, all the water like freezes and she's just kind of like frozen there in the sure. airlock. Well, they explain what she's doing. They, they they find out the condensation is what's been screwing with the device the whole time. Right. So she's going in there to like basically drain all the condensation. But it was the device. Not Why was she in an airlock? See, again, I'm asking too many questions. That's the problem. It just, it didn't make any sense to me. And then it just sort of happened. And I was like, okay, well, that's one. Well, then Chris O'Dowd talks about how he's going to like help because they have to fire the device again. They need to, to supplement power from all these other systems. And he's going to get, he's going to set up a thing. So even though they're going to shut down the O2 scrubbers, they'll be okay for a little while. And while he's setting up stuff, in that room that's going to be full of oxygen and he's made note of that the magnetism in the room starts getting weird for no reason and metal stuff starts flying off his tool belt and it causes a spark and boom he explodes well other it it takes a minute but it's just dumb it just didn't work it was like all of the good anomalies seemed like they were spent and now they're just in a hurry to kill people off because then that explosion causes half of the station to be basically dead weight and they've got to go try and disconnect it from the rest of the station before it spins them for it like because it's dangling for it like collides into them the 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 good half and there's this whole like release valve but to release it you have to be on the side that you have to release and so that's how we lose the commander is he sacrifices himself and i'm like that just seems like that makes no sense like that's just a really bad design flaw and i'm just they're killing them all so fast that all i can do is 
is really start nitpicking now. And I know I let a lot of stuff go earlier, but I was just mm-hmm. like, uh, you just you just killing them all off. And then of course there's three of you got three of them left. You got the Schmidt who's knows how to work the machine. You got Ava Hamilton who's our main character, so it needs to be there. And you've got Jensen from Earth Two, so they know how to fix everything. They're going to give her all the knowledge too, with an you know. And Ava's gonna go with her, which which again is so dumb. Oh, and Monk, Monk's left. And well, no, so Ava records the message. No, not yet. She's gonna oh. go at first, and then Jensen decides she they're all in the escape pod. Oh, I'm gonna take this. Oh yeah, at one point Volkov went crazy and printed a 3D, used a 3D printer to make a gun. So there's a gun on the ship, and that finally comes back. I meant to to talk about that gun earlier and the the things that bothered me. They yeah. show that device early in the film printing food. It's mm-hmm. like a 3D printer that makes there's even a like a handmade sticker on it that says worst bagel machine ever or something like that. Right. They never make it they never set up that this thing can make all kinds of stuff. It looks like the food replicator. Right. And then the the next time we see it in the movie, it's printing a gun and we're like, "Oh, that would have been nice to know that that was a thing." I don't know. It it kind of goes back to that introduce the gun in the first act. They could have at least introduced that the device makes food and it makes you know parts and it like could have introduced the device makes more than just food well and it probably they've got different things you feed it into he probably accidentally printed a bagel gun the first time and was like oh crap i forgot to switch out the tube (laughs) oh my god i wish that was a scene in the movie oh man (laughs) i still had had everything bagel loaded into this 3d printer You know that exact scene where you they like go to the 3D printer, override the security parameters, and create a gun on a spaceship? That exact mm-hmm. same thing happens in Netflix's original series, Lost in Space. It, it's like a thing. What's funny is this whole like 3D printer um, fascination in sci-fi, I think, started back in Jurassic Park 3, where they 3D printed the vocal box of the Velociraptor. And then now <laughs> you get the like all these movies where it's like, it's oh, like a ooh ah moment when they 3D print something. Yeah. And then, okay, so Jensen now, we've, we've talked about her with a gun, sorry. Uh, she decides to, to hit Ava in the top of the head, knock her out, because uh, I guess the reason she didn't just shoot her is because there's a her on Earth, too, that she's best friends with, so that would just be a little too much. But then she goes around the ship, finds Monk, shoots him, and then is going after uh, Schmidt. Because what she's decided, and I think this is very rational from her perspective, is Earth 2 is her home. She's like, yeah, you gave me the means to build another station and another device and make it work, but she's like, my Earth's already falling apart. We don't have time for that. I'm just going to take yours. Sorry, it's the three of you. Well, she even says the line at one point, if you're if you're asking me if I'll kill three people to save billions, it's Eight like, da-doy. Like, I got her character. She was a really solid antagonist in this movie. Right, and it's just certain things about, like, how that all played out. Like, she shoots Schmidt twice, shoots Monk once. Spoiler alert, Schmidt's going to live through this somehow. (laughs) Ava wakes up pretty quick, and there's, like, no no way to... Before you see either of the other two get shot or she attacks them, it's like... And at no point does she run to, like, a console or something and just start get on the comms. Hey, Jensen has a gun. Everybody hide. Like, is that not an option? Like, within the station, there's not just, like, a way to, like, you know... And then just like reach everybody like come on mass notice this it just made no sense I was like she's got to chase her down they have this nice little scuffle I do like that we finally get somebody shot out into space I was feeling really blue bold after the 
one girl got frozen in ice instead of flying out. But it was like she shoots the window. Jensen goes up against the window, kind of plugs it enough for her to like run out of the space, lock down the door that she's in now. And then Jensen flies out and it was all pretty cool. But then I was like, wait, that was like the main gathering room. How is she going to get anywhere else in the, <laughs> in the station? Like, how does she get anywhere else after that? That whole place is vacuumed and they don't have helmets because they're just a work. Like, you don't even see it. There's no work around. You're just like, oh, good. Thank God that big room that they spent a lot of time in. There's another hallway around that's not affected by the vacuum in that space there. I don't know. I, I'm, I, again, I guess I got I got too picky on it at the end. So at the very end, of course, this has to tie in. They get back. They get the machine working and they shoot down to Earth because Earth communications are bad. And the husband is like talking to the because he's been on and off this phone in a bunker. Yes, in a bunker because reasons. Sure. For, for a while now with the ground control team. He knows somebody in the ground control team. and He's like. You're sending them back here? Why are you letting them come back here? He's like freaking out. He's like, you know what's happening. They should stay up here. He's like, they don't have a lot of life support. You know, we couldn't really get a message through to them. Right. We, we do don't have we a choice. Do. They've got to come down. They, with that, I mean, he just says it over and over again. What, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? So as, as he's saying this, what we're seeing, because you're not you're watching the phone call, you're hearing it, is the pod coming down into the upper atmosphere of Earth. It goes down into the clouds, and then this giant, horrible CGI monster, and I mean horrible by any standards, comes out of the clouds and roars. And it looks, it looks like a really cheap version of the Rancor in Return of the Jedi. Oh, it totally does. You're right. And it's just horrible. And and if this for this thing to stick its heads out of the clouds, it would have to be A, standing on the ocean floor, and then be tall enough to peer out of the clouds. Because they're landing in water. And it was just like, like we knew there were monsters. We knew what was happening. It was obviously a setup for, like, to be continued. Like, just, just no. Why did they do that? Maybe that it's was... supposed to tie into Pacific Rim. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. That's it. Uh, I guess I guess I really do tear it apart. But here's the funny part. I like the movie <laughs> overall. It's it's honestly, it's not a bad movie. It's not a perfect movie, but it's not a bad movie. What do we want to change about this movie? I think we covered most of it. I want the everybody's role on the ship to be clear. I won I wanted one thing I wanted was more of the random anomalies, because every time we saw one, or almost every time we saw one, they were just killing somebody or maiming them with it. It's like, what if stuff, what if it was just happening all the time or. Sure. Like what if there were anomalies that weren't killing someone? What if there were anomalies that were, what you if know, they survived the one? most beautiful thing they'd ever seen, yeah. you know? Or, yeah. Or, or one almost killed them, but didn't. So there was that suspense. People could or couldn't die. It wasn't just like, Oh, well now you're killing this person. There's this bit where Schmidt, the German and Tam, the, uh, the Chinese woman were talking about how they were going to take over the station when everything first messed up and they didn't realize how bad it was. Neither of them like the commander and they're just, uh, you, you find out immediately and they're like, well, we're just going to run things and he's going to have to deal with it. And it's like this whole, like they're starting to plot a coup, which goes completely wrong. Cause Volkov shows up full of worms and a 3d printed gun and then it's totally dropped. I was just like, did we even need, could they not have just been, because they're like working on, on the, the device. Could they not have just been working on the device? That whole coup attempt went nowhere. I would have just taken Yeah, I think it was introduced because they introduced the idea that all these countries are kind of like on the brink of going to war with each other. So they, they're all up there with a lot of these preconceptions about each other as well. I, I, I think I get why they had, they set that up, but you're right. It didn't go anywhere at all. 
mm-hmm. and it wasn't interesting. They could have just omitted it altogether. Yeah, I'd like the arm to either have been more explained or just not happened. And I, I think it would have been so funny if the arm became like a real character. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, so my theory was, what if Chris O'Dowd could think things he wanted to do, and then it would, because the arm is technically in the past from where he's at, it would write it. So the arm is just writing like warnings to them that he'll think to tell later. Interesting. And so, but but it's always like it's never clear enough. Like he doesn't have full control over it. It's giving, so so it gives like forebodingness to things bad that are going to happen that they may try and prevent, but may actually make happen. Just kind of playing because they talk about time being a factor in this, but it never is. Like time travel. Sure. So that would have. That would have made it fun. Uh, I, I don't think Ava Hamilton should have wanted to go to Earth 2 to see the, her not family. That was just unnecessary. Uh, we both agree cut out in like 90% of the B story with the husband seeing him in the beginning. Of the Honestly, game. I don't. I, re, I disagree with you on the whole Earth 2 family thing. I get her reasoning in that and like emotional state she was in. I totally understand her wanting to see these kids. But I think, I think it's more of an interesting character moment for her that she has that initial desire to see them and then as she starts to like be more level-headed and see the situation she realizes and it dawns on her for sure that that isn't her family i liked watching her work through that i thought that was something interesting for her character okay i i didn't i i thought what would have been more interesting because she was trusting if she'd have trusted jensen to deliver the message to to her other self her earth to self and then jensen Mm. goes bad and then is killed now there's a conflict because up until the very end of the movie, they can't get any communications to that Earth. So what they decide to do... so, But for some reason, again, unexplained, after they divert all the power to the device, after lots of things have blown up and things have gone wrong, the one thing she can do now is send a message. And you don't see her fix the comm device, even though she's a comms officer, or at least they said that somewhere in passing once. She's just using it like it's always worked. And I was like, you, you can't, you can't give us anything. So she does send out. You're right. You said it before. She sends a message out to herself with how to build the the SPA and fix build it correctly. And then also, hey, unplug. If if, if you plugged in at this thing called a power pack into your kid's room, unplug that now. Like priority one, unplug <laughs> right. that now. And I get that. My first step for you is to not kill your children, like I did. But the way they were able to do that was by sending a communication that up until that point. They literally said they couldn't do. So it's like, well, what'd you do different? Because you're also on a time limit. There are so many little things that are pressuring them to move quickly, like oxygen, things falling apart, power supply. You lose track of it all. I think, honestly, the writers just lost track that they forgot that they couldn't send communications to Earth or just cut the part where she somehow figured it out, even though the ship is in worse shape than before when they couldn't. I I would if she's gonna send a message, she would she would take she'd drop it in a pod that they were already gonna drop Jensen in and send it out. Maybe with, you know, with, with some notes and stuff. But that's it, like a little video. But uh, yeah, those are things I would change. Let's move into our pitches. Okay. You want to go first? Well, I don't have so much a pitch as just all of those things I would change and then a really long summary of the movie. But I think instead of reading all this out, because most of it is just the movie, I would list the maybe five or six things that would change in this movie that I think would fix it. Um, For starters, like I said, clear roles of professions, which in 
in my version, Monk is the actual physician and has no problem doing an autopsy on a person. That was just weird. I know it's small, but it was like literally the first thing, and that's like halfway into the movie. I was like, wow. So the first half of this movie, I'm pretty much cool with. I would definitely have the future hand, the arm with the future knowledge that Chris O'Dowd is sending messages to. It'd be weird. It would be confusing, and it would be funny as I'll get out, and lots of lots of cool stuff would happen with it. Because he could also be just because he's always he's talking about how like his hand did this and told him that and it fixed this and he could always be like why can't my hand get this right or you know just like what is my hand talking about I don't know <laughs> I'd have fun with that I guess in my pitch Ava doesn't try to go back to Earth too at no point is that a thing you know she's not going to so that sort of the movie plays out the same it's just not an issue jensen when she starts taking over the um station when there's just the other three of them left she starts headshotting people instead um ave is able to get like word out through the comms that she's coming so schmidt is able to kind of like because he's on this catwalk next to the spa he knows she's coming like they can actually do like a more interesting scuffle with them where he's like waiting for her but she's got the gun but they scuffle and it looks like he falls off the catwalk but really unbeknownst to jensen but known to us he's like hanging on the bottom and he's going to come back later instead of getting shot twice and then just acting like he's fine yeah i think our our biggest one is the ending they don't show the monster at the end we under we, we get some foreshadowing from the husband because it's the first time we see him since the beginning that things are wrong but that's it and otherwise the movie plays out as is it's this was a very small patch job i think yeah, I agree with you. I think I think literally everything you said, except maybe the thing with the kids. I, I think there's a there's a middle ground there maybe that's that's her having a moment of temptation perhaps, but not spending so much time thinking about going to Earth. Because again, I really liked the moment of considering like ditching everything for that one chance to see her kids again, and then having that epiphany that they aren't really her kids. And where that's at is after Jensen dies because then she doesn't have a way to sure. get a message back right away. And that's when I she's like that idea. about it. And then like Schmidt shows up at the last second, like, what are you doing? Cause she thinks he's dead. She thinks she's the only one left and she can't right. operate the device. So I think, I think all your patches that you just made, I like that you call them patches because you're mm -hmm. right. It's not like a full restructure of the film. They're little, the only thing that's maybe a little bit more elaborate is the introduction of future arm as a legitimate character. But otherwise you're right. It's kind of patchwork and I dig it. Um, my pitch is pretty simple as well. It's not as specific, but I, I like the opening scene. You know, they're in line to get gas, and, and we we learn about the state of Earth and how it's it's having a, an energy crisis. I think we should then go into a truncated version of introducing this crew, getting them onto the station, everything going really well, right up until it doesn't. And, you know, we've, we've spent this first, you know, 15, 20 minutes of this movie getting real hype about saving the earth and then it doesn't work. And then we do our time jump there. Mm -hmm. And then that's when we're like two years later and we're seeing, and that gives us the opportunity, like you said, to really introduce what everybody's roles are on the ship and meet their characters, know who they are, all of that. So then when we jump that two years later, that's already established and we're getting to see the differences in those characters. Right. And then from that point on until we get to the end, maybe even have her have one more, cause I think she has a conversation with him via, you know, space Skype you know, with her husband yes, before everything goes one. totally wrong with their, you know, what did they say? It's like their 87th attempt at, at, at activating the device. And right. I think from that moment on, when we lose earth, 
then we we build that mystery of what's happening what's happening what's happening is earth really gone Mm -hmm. you know it just it creates that i think an an actually even stronger connection with the michael character if he's not there and then like you said we go back at the end we have them coming down we have michael finally getting notification that his you know his wife is okay but but what she's coming back and he's just screaming you know tell her not to come back tell her not to come back tell her not to come back and we don't really know what's happening again, unless you've already seen the Cloverfield movies and you know, this is a Cloverfield movie and then that's where it ends. And that's the setup. That's the hype moment that sets up whatever this next movie clearly is going to be. Yeah. And it's, this is a franchise. They're clearly trying to make more of these that works. Hell, if you really, really needed, you know, as the filmmaker or the studio or whoever, if you really needed to show something there at the end, a monster, a, a thing, then I think instead of this this giant, like you said, completely nonsensical Rancor ripoff that doesn't make any real sense at all, maybe have something maybe in the background of him. Like, you know, we're seeing that shot of him on the phone yelling into the phone. We see something maybe suggesting in that shot. But I think you're right. I think that that giant, giant monster at the end that makes no sense whatsoever it's kind of like a more is less sort of thing. Yeah, it do. We didn't need that much. It, it'd be more interesting to end it on a bit of of uncertainty and and you know it's that whole idea of the things you don't see are even scarier. Yeah, I think up until that point, I was ready to excuse all the things I've talked about in this book. Like I say, fell flat. I was ready to give it all a pass, and then they did that, and I was like, no, you 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 shoehorn this too hard. This needs this needs a patch job. This needs fixing. You need the movie fixers. Get get those MFers on the podcast. <laughs> well, there's our pitch. I'm pretty happy with it. What are your um you know what was your takeaway on this? What'd you think of the movie and our fix? What's what are your thoughts? I I liked that we watched one that I enjoyed for most of it, which is funny because I don't typically get into this sort of thriller suspense genre. It's my personal taste where I don't like something when there's not like a clear antagonist to combat against. That's just me. Like man versus nature movies, I'm just sort of like bored because it's like, okay, well, it's the main character. He's got to survive all of this till the end at least. And then it's like everybody else I don't care about because they're either going to make it or they're not. And that's that's me. If you like this movie, everything I said, if you think it's no big deal or you think it's good, that's fine. Even Matt, you and I agreed a little bit more on, pardon me, disagreed a little bit more on this one than I think on any other movie. Yeah, I think so. And I I mean, we just agreed on like a couple of specific points, but I I do think that we both had the same thoughts that this movie's not as bad as people made it out to be. It definitely could have been better, but it's it's not a bad movie. And I think with a few of our little patches, as we're calling them, I think it could have actually been something kind of worth watching, like for more people than mm-hmm. just the two of us, apparently. <laughs> well, that's our episode on the fabulous uh, Cloverfield Paradox. We are back in the studio recording more movie fixers for you guys. In fact, we're, we've got a couple more episodes here in the near future. Um, what are you know, we doing? Matt, are we doing every week? What, what's our What's our new format? I was here? about to ask you. I think we agreed it's just a little too much right now for us to do one a week. It's starting to kind of put pressure on us to meet that deadline. I think it'll be better for us. It'll be better for the listeners if we do this every other week. We're gonna try and and really get out there to you guys what we're watching, so you have a chance to you know see it yourself possibly comment on it but we also recognize 
podcasts are hard to comment on. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I think I've sent one reply in maybe the three years I have been like actively daily listening to podcasts. I've replied to one of them once. And just because it's it's not a format for that. You're not sitting here with your phone in front of you. There's not like a comment section below. So right. if you do want to talk to us, Matt, where can they, what's, what do you think is the best way? Email? So for movie fixers, you've got a whole bunch of options. Um, we post everything to Podbean, which is a great little service. Um, they did not pay us to say that. We just use it. And Podbean has its own comment system. iTunes has its own comment system where it gets kind of cross-posted to. We post everything to our website, which is 30something.digital. Uh, you're welcome to comment on any of the posts regarding our episodes. Uh, we also post everything to Facebook, and we, we tend to get most of our comments through Facebook. You're welcome to leave comments there. We'll read them and try and respond to them on the air if we can. And finally, you can always email us at contact at onlyontsd.com. Um, other than that, you know, we accept like homing pigeons and things like that. But really, everything I outlined is probably your best bet. Send the homing pigeons to Matt's house. I've got enough pigeons in my backyard. I have four cats, so they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll take down that pigeon. On the note of um, just comment, reading these things out loud, I want to open the floor up to not just about the movie we're talking about, but to other ones that we've talked about in the past and other ones that we haven't spoken on. So this is really just an open, always open source to talk about movies, specifically maybe movies you think need a fixin' and what you think about that. If you don't want to talk about what we what we say or do, if you don't care about any of that, just say what you think. And we'll uh, we'll try to address some of that in this kind of segment here at the end of the podcast from now on. Agreed. And if you're a late adopter and you're going back listening to some of our older episodes and you feel like you've really got something to say about Phantom Menace, then you let us know. We will talk about that movie. Lord but speaking of movies, Tony, yeah. what is our next our next project? What's the next movie we fixing? That's a great question, man. And one I was not prepared for. So you're going to have to give me just it's a good a thing. I've already looked it up. Our next episode is an amazing little film called Short Circuit that we've already talked about doesn't we don't think is going to need a lot of work but we've also neither of us seen it in a long time so i'm really excited to see what comes out of that so this is one you put on the list that i originally was going to say no i love this movie but then i realized i haven't seen this movie it's probably been i think i rewatched it like maybe half a decade ago just to see if it held up and aside from the glaringly obvious problem with that movie which is (laughs) the there is there's, There's a, a super white actor playing a super not white character. Like Indian and cliche. It's, it's, it is. it's sort of considered to be the apex, like, <laughs> like racist. Uh, was that, was that kind of like a Star Trek Voyager? Oops. Like no one knew or did everybody know? And they just let him do that character. Kind I don't of know. Like, um, I mean, we'll get into it in the next podcast, but no, it, it was, it, it was just a sign of the times is really the, the, the actor Eddie Fisher. In, Eddie, Eddie Fisher. Fisher. Eddie Fisher. Yeah. And then, no, but I was going to ask, in Breakfast at Tiffany's, they did something like that, too, where her landlord was this guy who did this really horrible, like, Asian stereotype, and he was really famous for oh, it. Oh, yeah. We'll have to do a little bit of research and talk about some of the, the best slash, you know, worst. Yeah. Um, You've got two weeks, audience. If you know the answer, comment it to us so I don't have to look yeah, it up. Yeah, let us know. Well, that's our show for this week, everybody. I appreciate you listening. I hope uh, we've definitely entertained you for this last hour. Um, check out You can check out Cloverfield Paradox on Netflix. I don't know that you can check it out anywhere else. You've kind of got to have a Netflix subscription. It's a Netflix original. 
It's a Netflix original. Um, you can check out Cloverfield and Clover, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I highly recommend 10 Cloverfield Lane on all kinds of uh, streaming services for sure. Our show is executive produced by Hayden Smith and Chrissy Faith. It is produced, hosted by, written and edited by myself, Matt Goad, and my good friend, Tony Faith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks with uh, Short Circuit. <laughs> Bye. Thank you.